Shout out to Raw Riot. And now we have our headliner, the person we all paid to see. It's free. You didn't pay anything. Uh, good friend of the series. Very lovely. Uh, happy that they are back. Ryan Allen Boyle is an editor, writer, and music journalist. He has written and edited liner note essays for acclaimed archival albums released by the Numero Group, including Teen Expo, the Cleopatra label, Local Customs, Cavern Sound, Joanna Brooke, Hearing Music, and the Royal Jester's English Oldies, among many others. His fiction has appeared in Opossum, Atticus Review, and Fiction Southeast. Here in a master's degree in American history from the University of Florida, currently works in book publishing and lives in Brooklyn. Yesterday was his birthday. Well, happy late birthday. Everyone, give it up for Ryan Boyle. This is a, a set of liner notes that I wrote and was paid for, uh, but which was never released because the album uh, was just thrown onto a streaming service and didn't actually get a, a physical release. Um, so now you get to hear the, the wonderful tale of uh, two hillbillies from New Jersey during the Great Depression who got really into slack key guitar. Uh, and I've got some music for you. The rest of it's instrumental, so I'll just let you get the vibe of the vocal stuff first. is the Gospel Hawaiian Airs. Uh, they were a, a married duo, Bill and Jean Bradway. Um, it was the early years of the Great Depression when Bill Bradway innocently stepped into a movie theater without realizing that it would change the course of his life. Uh, up there on the screen, larger than life, was Sol Ho'opi'i, a Hawaiian lap steel guitarist playing the most beautiful music that Bill Bradway had ever heard, elastic and languid as you can hear. Uh, Hawaii was ridiculously far and impossibly exotic for a boy who'd grown up on a farm in Haleyville, New Jersey. It lay across a continent and an ocean, still 20 years from statehood. By the end of the decade, he had a career playing the music to East Coast audiences who'd heard little like it on an instrument no one had ever seen before, a triple-neck lap steel electric guitar with 18 pickups and three tunings. Similarly, when a teenage Gene Seagars turned on the radio near the end of the 30s to hear the weeping, whistling slide guitar played by Bill Bradway, by then known as the King of the Silver Strings, she never imagined that she was hearing her future husband, and she never imagined that they would travel the entirety of continental America together playing Hawaiian music for the Lord. It was an age before television, and her mother, father, and sister regularly gathered around the radio for entertainment, listening to the enchanting, singing, singing sounds of Bradway's guitar, 
The Seegers family sang together after dinner, their dairy farm ringing with harmony. But music was more than a pastime for the family. Jean's mother was a piano player for the local Methodist church and brought in extra money as a piano teacher. She taught her young children, Jean and her sister Dorothy, how to play. Her father also paid for music lessons when Jean was 11. Our daddy said, I don't care how much money I spend on you girls, but I want you to make something of your talent. Every day he made us practice one hour, she said. As they entered high school, the Seagars girls were good enough to go public with their talents. They joined the Tumbleweeds, a gospel and western group, that, uh, and played the local Sunday night dances before performing on the radio in 1941. Though she'd long listened to Bradway's broadcasts, it was now his, his turn to hear her voice floating over the airwaves. He was so impressed by what he heard, he decided he needed the Seagars sisters in his band, then called just the Hawaiian Airs. Uh, it was the beginning of a true, actual radio romance. Uh, we broadcasted over WSNJ in Bridgeton, New Jersey, said Gene. My husband-to-be, I guess I should just say Bill. Bill heard us, and he took us away from that other band. Bill had already established himself as a big name in the South Jersey music scene of the 30s, playing the major tourist attractions of Hunt's Ocean Pier and Steel Pier. The, pier, the piers were premier vacation destinations during the glory years of the Jersey Shore. Ocean Pier was the first major entertainment pier on the Wildwood Boardwalk, built in the early 1900s, featuring ballroom dancing and music. By 1935, it was converted to an amusement park with roller coasters, a Ferris wheel, and a radio station, WFPG, on which Gene had first heard Bill's daily 45-minute broadcast. The roll of the waves and the surf sound of the Atlantic Ocean contributed to the authentic Hawaiian atmosphere, Bill later wrote in the liner notes of their first LP. Uh, so if you ever thought New Jersey was a little tropical, Bill Bradway agrees with you. Uh, by the time Ocean Pier burned down, Christmas Day, 1943, Bradway and the Hawaiian Airs were already performing at the even larger Steel Pier and broadcasting on its WSNJ station, dubbed the Showplace of the Nation. The Steel Pier was the biggest pier in the world at the time, a 2,000-footer built in Atlantic City in 1898. One of the most popular amusement venues in the first half of the 20th century, it featured acts like high-diving horses and water-skiing dogs, Frank Sinatra, Al Jolson, and the Hawaiian Airs. People loved his music and flocked to wherever he and his Hawaiian band were, said Gina, Bill and Jean's daughter. That included Atlantic City's other most famous attraction, the Miss America pageant. Bradway provided live musical accompaniment for the 13th annual pageant in 1939, then little more than a bathing suit competition. As the girls paraded by, he had to find a song that matched their gown as close as possible, said Gina. The winner in 1939 wore a blue evening gown, and of course he played Alice Blue Gown. Jean, still learning the guitar as the newest member of the Hawaiian Airs, was intimidated at first by the glitz and glamour of Atlantic City nightlife. Uh, it was a trial by fire as she and her sister had never played Hawaiian music before, something that didn't seem to bother Bill. He said, tonight you're going to play a Hawaiian song for the dance, and oh my goodness, he just about floored us, and we said, we're not playing. And he said, oh yes, you are. <laughs> he became her third and final guitar teacher. She decided it'd be cheaper to marry the third teacher than pay for more lessons, said Gina. Her sister, Dorothy, also married a musician, Wayne Wright, the fiddle player for Bill Haley, before Bill Haley in the Comets, uh, who also played uh, in his band's Cousin Lee and his boys and the Range Drifters. Uh, as Bill and Jean fell in love, he told her stories of his life. He told her about his love of Sol Ho'opii. Uh, though obscure now, Ho'opii was, was a star in the 1930s. He was a native Hawaiian uh, guitar player. 
um, a major innovator on the lap steel guitar and still considered to be one of the best players of all time. The new mass communication technologies of the phonograph, film, and radio made all this possible, just as it had Bill and Gene even meeting in the first place. Uh, it was the first time in human history that a boy from New Jersey, or anyone from anywhere, might have encountered, learned, and loved a kind of music from an entirely different culture in another part of the world without ever going there or ever meeting anyone from there. Uh, and it's not unusual that someone who was as drawn to the lap steel guitar as an instrument as Bradway was would end up playing Hawaiian music, despite such a chasm of geographic and cultural distance. The instrument had not yet assumed the place in country western music uh, that it occupies today and was most associated in the American mainland at the time with the music of the Hawaii Territory, where it was ostensibly invented by a knife-wielding Joseph Kekuku, who delighted at the sound of his blade on the strings. Do you guys know the story about the invention of the slide guitar? Uh, there, there's a couple different versions of people who claim to have invented it, but the, um, the one that's the most recognized is this guy, uh, Joseph Kakuku, who was uh, basically walking down the railroad tracks one day and uh, picked up a bolt from that was just you know lying next to the, the tracks, like the things that hold the, the ties down, uh, and he just slid it along his guitar and he, and he liked the sound of it. So from then on he started playing it with a, with a knife, and that is where uh, the lap steel comes from basically. Um, uh, and it came from Hawaiian music and slowly sort of like infiltrated its way into country and western music. Ho'opi'i um, had been one of the finest, had been one of the first people to ever play an electrified lap steel guitar, an experimental novelty at the time. Uh, the, the lap steel was also the, the first electric guitar. Um, uh, but Bill, something of an electrical genius, built his own out of an old roast pot, a sewing machine, uh, and the magneto from a Model T Ford. He then set about building what he claimed was the first double-neck steel guitar in the United States. After wedding Jean in 1948, he built an electric guitar for her too, uh, just a regular, regular one, uh, with roses hand-carved into the fretboard using a hypodermic needle to fill in the color. Uh, the roses and a nameplate with her name on it uh, were lit by electric bulbs, and the guitar stayed in perfect tune despite the heat from the bulbs, uh, an engineering feat that Gene never quite understood. He never patented it, said Gina. Instead, he mailed his notarized schematics to himself as a simple form of copyright protection and began selling home-built guitars and amplifiers through his own company, Bill Bradway Custom-Built Guitars, making single and double-neck steel guitars for up to $565. Words will never... Words will never describe the beauty of this guitar, Bradway wrote in the company's promotional materials. And um, he might have been good with uh, electronics, but uh, grammar is not his strong point, so bear with me here. Uh, Knowing that the steel guitar is the choice of the people, and his love for this instrument has encouraged him to build and manufacture the most perfect steel guitar in the world, with looks as well as tone. His greatest aim in life is to put the electric, electric steel guitar on top, where it belongs. Uh, between performing, guitar sales, and music lessons, the Bradways were making a living. In 1948, when a few of their students moved out west to Denver, Colorado, the newly married couple decided to try the mountains for themselves. It was a different lifestyle, said Gene. South Jersey's the garden state, but out here we found more musicians and made friends. Big things happened amid the mountains. Bill and Gene had two children, Billy and Gina. <laughs> and the Hawaiian air sound got noticed by some well-known names. When the backing musicians for yodel and country legends Slim Whitman and Minnie Pearl, the Grand Old Opry and Hee Haw star, got stuck in a snowstorm on the way to Denver, it was Bill and Gene who filled in. 
Even when we finished, they still hadn't gotten into Denver. We played the whole show with Slim Whitman. We never had a bit of trouble. We played the whole show and backed up Mini Pearl. So, so this is people like Bill Bradway playing with um, these country and western acts is basically how the electric slide, the, the lap steel made its way into country music. Uh, by 1950, they were in Miles City, Montana, playing such venues as the Miles City Rodeo, the Montana State Fair, the Wild Horse Auction, and backing up Rex Allen, the singing cowboy of stage and screen. It was in Miles City that Bill put his genius to work and furthered the electric guitar innovations of his youth, building the triple neck steel guitar that would become his signature. Copies of it sold through the Bradway Custom Built Guitar Company for $750, which at the time was like a small fortune. Uh, Bill's skill on his new instrument soon caught the ear of Horace Height, one of the most famous radio band leaders of the 30s and 40s, a legend in the making. The Bradways traveled on tour and appeared on his broadcast shows as part of his hugely popular orchestra, the Musical Knights. Uh, Horace loved the steel guitar so much he asked Bill to join the band permanently, said Gina. He said, Horace, I can't go. I'm married and have two children. Horace would later be honored with two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for radio and another for television. If I knew then what I know now, I'd say, Bill, you go and just send me the money. The Bradways had long been uncomfortable with the world of secular entertainment and their role-playing nightclubs and bars, houses of immorality. We never took the children in any of the places we played, whether it was clubs, dances, or anything, said Jean. But it wasn't until 1955 that they fully transitioned to gospel music, at the prompting of a family tragedy, a broken guitar, and a prophetic voice. While Bill was working on one of his double-neck guitars for a client, word came from his sister in New Jersey that their mother was dying. Racing across the country from the mountains to the plains back to the shore, Bill made a fateful prayer. Lord, spare my mother till I get back to see her. She survived long enough to, to ask her son on her deathbed to play her the old Christian hymns he'd learned as a boy. Bill, returning home in anguish, found that his despair and existential grief managed themselves in his work on a double-neck guitar. The bridge, the pull pieces, the head, nothing went right, said Gene. He got very, very despondent. So finally, he heard the voice of the Lord. He said, Bill, I spared your mother and heard your prayer. What are you going to do for me? He came out of that room as white as a bedsheet. Divinely inspired, Bill was born again and determined to use his gifts only for the Lord, to sing songs of worship instead of pop tunes in the nightclub. Uh, just like his hero, Ho'opi'i had long since converted to Christianity and given up his secular career to perform gospel as well. He said, honey, are you going to follow me and be a Christian, said Jean. And I said, honey, I have followed you through all these years in the world of social entertainment. Yes, I'm going to follow you now. Uh, though they had a standing date to perform at a local venue, they put in their two weeks notice like professionals. Playing those last days in a palace of sin tormented the newly devout Bill as he felt torn between his faith and his professionalism. He looked down his guitar in tears, said Jean, because he had the love of the Lord in his heart. Daughter Gina had started singing harmony with her parents at home by the age of eight, and the Bradway's new focus on churches, revivals, and other sites of faith and prayer allowed her to join the rechristened Gospel Hawaiian Airs. Though she raised her voice in praise, she was still so young she had to perform while standing on a box so the audiences could see her. Soon, the Bradways were evangelizing around Denver, Nebraska, Wyoming, Kansas, all over the Mountain West and up to Canada, spreading the good word on radio, television, and vinyl. Bill had released a few Hawaiian Air 78s and homemade acetates on a label he called Rapture, releasing a full LP in 1959 with a family photo on the cover of Bill, Gene, and Gina crowned with lays, cradling their instrument. 
1936, they were on television sharing the gospel. Their Harvest Time television show aired live on CBS in Denver, sponsored by the Filtex vacuum cleaner. Um, there's, there's no tapes or video of, of their television show at all because they didn't bother to record live TV back then. Um, when the Bradways decamped even further west to California, Bill saw the Pacific Ocean for the first time. On the other side was Hawaii, now a state, but still a land that filled his imagination with visions of paradise. They rented an apartment in Hawthorne so the kids could go to a regular school while the Gospel Hawaiian Airs evangelized across the Golden State and landed a record deal with a gospel recording company, Christian Faith Recordings. The company eventually released two Gospel Hawaiian Airs LPs, both in 1964, with overlapping but different track listings and nearly identical full-color full cover photos of Bill and Jean, uh, all accomplished in two days of work. The first day was a photo shoot for that cover, most of it spent applying makeup to their hands for some reason, uh, and the second day was an all-day recording session at Lauren Whitney's studio with the band rapping at 6 p.m. Overdubs were accomplished by playing the music down a hallway for reverb and just having the band perform the new parts along with it. Uh, primitive uh, by the technical standards of 1964. It would be the Bradway's first and only recorded material to see real distribution. Uh, as the Bradway's children reached their teen years, the family's nomadic lifestyle as touring musicians slowed down so Billy and Gina could stay in one place and graduate high school like normal kids. The Gospel Hawaiian Airs started taking only local engagements during the week and going further afield during weekends, while Gene worked in a Hallmark store to subsidize their lost income, and Bill pursued a long-held interest in chiropractic and massage. Uh, Hawaii is no longer so far or exotic, no longer a mystical place mostly seen in movies. Despite all the inspiration it provided him, Bill passed away in 1982, having never seen the island shores. He, he never went there. He, like, I, I, I was, like, baffled by it. Yeah, like, you spend your whole life making this music and, and get as far as California, and that's it. Um, he never heard the lap steel guitar played in its native setting. Left as a solo act, Gene switched to playing the Hammond organ full-time, still accompanying church services today. At 90 years old, and I wrote this in 2016, so she's probably, like, 92 or 93 now, um, She's visited the youngest state, which is Hawaii, three times, uh, taking in the hula girls and the guitar players, the swaying palms and bree breezy Hawaiian air that had lived like paradise vision in her husband's mind for decades. Uh, a true performer, Jean has felt Bill's absence these last 35 years as a profound loss of harmony, not just personally, but musically. I will say this, it was very hard, she said. When he passed away, there went my melody. Uh, and I've got a, a song here with um, her sort of saying goodbye, not to him, but just in general.
meet again. This is Jean saying for Bill and Jean Bradway, King and Queen of the Silver Strings. Brought to you through the courtesy of Estes Park, Colorado. We thank you so much for tuning us in. Until we meet, it's aloha. There you go.